Welcome to the Nutrition Medicine Podcast. I'm Martin Harris, a nutrition medicine pharmacist. Nutrition medicine has been a life changer for me personally, for my family, and for many of my patients in my pharmacy and in my clinic. And that's why I'm really passionate about sharing what I've learned. So let's explore your health and vitality together. We'll investigate diet and lifestyle, conventional and complementary medicines, the latest research from nutrition medicine, and the things you can do to restore your natural state of radiant wellness. Welcome to episode 3, where I talk about nutrients, supplements, and metabolic pathways, which is really the core of nutrition medicine. Understanding what metabolic pathways might need some love and care, and what nutrients and supplements may support that. And it's always a mixture of all those things that really create wellness and good health. I was reminded of the importance of getting everything right with a young man I treated recently for acne. This young man was very tall. Uh, At the age of 15, he was 6 foot 8. And so his body was growing a lot. And he obviously had a lot of need for extra nutrient support. And he was pretty athletic and pretty healthy, apart from he suffered from a lot of acne. So his mum asked me if there's anything I could do to help him, and I know there's some really great nutrients that can help. So I wrote a little review for this young man about what he could do to reduce the inflammatory nature of his diet, because acne is by definition an inflammatory condition, and how he could support that by using some zinc, which is very anti-inflammatory, omega-3 fish oils, which is very anti-inflammatory, and some vitamin B5 to give him some quick gains to reduce his acne. So the zinc and the fish oils in acne are a bit of a long-term game. They're reducing inflammation, and they can take a little while before they kick in. Whereas I know kids with acne, they want to see a result pretty soon, which is why I put in there a little bit of B5, or I say a little bit of B5. The dose you need is actually very high for B5 for acne. So I put in there a lot of B5 to give him some short-term gains for his acne. So two weeks later, met up with his mum and said, How's he going with his acne? She goes, eh, a little bit better, which was kind of disappointing for me. So I said, oh, not a lot better. I expected the B5 to kick in pretty quickly. She said, no, it's just a little bit better, maybe 5%. So puzzled, I asked, so how's he going with the diet component? Oh, he hasn't changed his diet at all, was her response. Ah, boom, the lights go on, we know why it's not working. With a lot of nutrition medicine initiatives, we always think that it's really important to get the right supplements, but the diet is really the core. So I always set people up with a good diet. Often people don't hear the recommendations around diet because that can be quite hard to implement. They only hear about taking the pills. Pills are very easy to take. Pop one in, forget about it. Whereas changing what you eat and and how you cook can be a lot more hard work, basically. So... He did change his diet and he had about a 80% improvement within a week by cutting out the inflammatory foods and adding in all the nourishing foods that I had recommended in the first instance. So that was a good result and he's only going to get a lot better as his zinc and fish oils kick in as well. So it's a balance, diet, 
and supplementation and knowing what you're doing. We need to look at good health versus the absence of disease. One of my biggest challenges in this world is to get people to appreciate that they don't need to accept good health when they can have excellent health. I was talking to an elderly lady a few years back, in fact about 10 years ago now, about her golf. I used to play a bit of golf when I was younger, don't anymore because it's too time consuming. But um, talking to this lady about her golf and she said she's really struggling to play the early morning golf now because her fingers just won't work in the morning. She was in her 70s. So we had a bit of more of a, more of a chat and, and transpired she was um, struggling a little bit with getting all the gardening done, mowing her own lawn. She was widowed, living on her own. So we put her on good doses of fish oils and magnesium. Again, did some diet recommendations. And she said to me she could start at 7 o'clock in the morning with a golf after that. Her fingers would work from day one, so from the moment, beginning of the day. Whereas before, she'd have to massage them and do exercises to get them to work by about 10 o'clock in the morning. She also told me the story about how she got up one morning got out on the golf course for the 7 o'clock start, went home, mowed her lawns, and then went out to her granddaughter's ballet recital in the evening. So not bad for someone in her, in her 70s. That lady's now in her 80s and still going strong with the golf, um, apart from the interruptions from COVID, of course. So you've got to ask yourself, do you feel 100%? I had a case, a middle-aged man in his 50s came to see me this week. Uh, strong man, uh, he was floored with a lack of energy from some nutrients that he'd, st- sorry, some drugs that he'd started taking. He developed an unstable heartbeat, so he'd been put on a useful combination of drugs to help support that. Drugs that will help reduce his risk of having a stroke or having any other adverse outcomes. But unfortunately, the side effects of those medications can be quite devastating to someone who's susceptible to them, in particular about low energy. Now, this was a man that was used to doing CrossFit, uh, had a physical job, uh, used to be always challenged with his mates about who could lift the most, etc. Now he was struggling to do any of that, any of those activities. So it was quite a big deal for him. So we had to look into why he might be suffering from that fatigue. Now, I could have just assumed it was the side effects of the medications, and those medications do cause nutrient imbalances, uh, the, the cholesterol drugs he was on can disrupt the balance of CoQ10 and vitamin K2, which are critical for energy. Um, the beta blocker blood pressure drug, the drug designed to stabilize his heartbeat, can reduce the amount of oxygen being pumped in the blood. I could have assumed that was the case, but we investigated further to make sure there weren't other, other issues involved before making recommendations to him. Because everyone is different, and you can't just assume... What's good for one person will be good for the next person. Another lesson that I've learned is that you really do need commitment. You need to plan for good health. Exercise is critically important and we all live busy lifestyles. So if you're suffering from low energy and you then stop doing exercise, that reduces the stimulus for your mitochondria, which makes all the energy in your cells. It reduces the stimulus for your mitochondria to grow and become stronger. So you need to do exercise to get stronger and to get more energy. The exception to that is if you've got very, very low levels, then obviously you need to build up your reserves before you can start doing much exercise. And from a dietary perspective, 
We live in a very busy world, so sometimes we get a little bit too busy to eat. So instead of cooking ourselves a nourishing meal, we may get a takeaway on the way home. And we convince ourselves that it's a healthy takeaway because there's a few veggies in that. And perhaps the next week we're busy again, so we've got to eat on the run, so we can't really have the nourishing meal, so we'll just have the burger and the fries. And then the week after that, I'm actually even more busy, so I'll just have the fries. And you see how it goes down to a vicious spiral, and, and eventually you're eating an awful diet, which is, you get away with it when you're young and, and got a good reserve. But 10 years down the track, when you've got digestive problems, or 20 years when you develop diabetes, or 30 years when you develop heart disease, that's when these things come back to bite you and you wish you could turn the clock back. And these diseases do take that long to develop. They open up the hearts of kids, young teenagers that have been in motorcycle accidents, and many of those have the first signs of heart disease, 18-year-olds with the first signs of changes in their arteries. I mean, this stuff does start earlier. They obviously don't get symptoms till they're another 30 years down the track or more, but it's critical that we start early with our good nutrition. And it's not real, always obvious what good nutrition is. Uh, the right balance of fats is critically important. The omega-3s in, in the fish oils, they can reduce inflammation, which reduces aches and pains. It nourishes the brain, protects the joints. There's no real downside to taking the omega-3s. New Zealanders can be, often be deficient in protein intake as well. Now, protein contains all the amino acids that our body needs to make all the enzymes that drive all our metabolism to make all our brain chemicals. In fact, some of these amino acids can be very therapeutic in their own right. Recently I've done some research on dopamine. Dopamine's a brain chemical or a neurotransmitter that's involved with good mood, motivation, movement, just get up and go. Even helps with sleep. And most antidepressants that are being developed over the last 50 years really focus on changing the levels of serotonin in the brain and nothing's specific just for dopamine. Thing is, there's a lot of people out there that are low in dopamine and they feel... I, a typical patient that's low in dopamine is a bit like Eeyore the donkey. You know, a bit slow, not really motivated to do anything, big black cloud over their head, you know, they just don't really feel like doing anything. Eeyore the donkey, to a T. <laughs> not always like that. I've actually developed a questionnaire that is looking at all the signs and symptoms of dopamine deficiency and people that come up highly on that score, if I treat them with all the nutrients their body needs to make dopamine, they have miraculous responses very, very quickly. And at first I was a bit put off when people were coming back within a day or two saying, wow, I feel so much better. I was a little bit unbelieving to begin with, but it's happened so many times. So these people I'm giving a little bit of tyrosine, which is the amino acid that helps, and the other cofactors just to build up that dopamine in their body, and they're getting great responses. Which is quite different to when we use a drug to treat depression like a serotonin drug, because patients take between two and six weeks to respond to those, and the serotonin levels change in the brain straight away when you take those drugs, but there's a lag in terms of how quickly the patients respond on a clinical level. And I think the issue there is that 
the serotonin drugs actually might not be working through serotonin for a lot of patients. They might be working by reducing inflammation in the brain, which takes about four weeks to happen from starting to take them. In fact, back in the 1960s, when a lot of these antidepressants were made, there was a lot of research going on about how the brain can be under stress, both emotional and nutritional stress, and how that can drive a lot of brain dysfunction. We see that key areas of the brain that get damaged, for example, in the hippocampus, which is the area that's responsible for memory and emotion, that declines with age. So 60% of the changes that are due to age are actually not due to age, but due to the nutrition. And we know a Western diet is responsible for a smaller hippocampus than a primitive diet. So by eating what's called a conventional diet, you know, burgers and fries and lots of sugar and refined grains and, and bad fats, you can damage that hippocampus, causing memory problems and emotional problems. Another key area of the brain that is important for decision-making is the prefrontal cortex. And we know that magnesium increases the plasticity or the, the ability of those nerves to grow and multiply and, and, and to move in response to stress. So taking magnesium can be really, really helpful for those people. And most New Zealanders are deficient in magnesium. It's low in our soils. Uh, it's low in our diet. Any sort of stress will, will reduce the amount that we absorb, make us excrete more. So there's a number of reasons why just about everybody should be taking magnesium for health and well-being. If you take any pain, then pain is worse if you're deficient in magnesium. In fact, I'm surprised some of the normal pharmaceutical companies haven't developed Panadol plus magnesium preparations because they would work better than just Panadol alone. If you have a magnesium deficiency, that can cause degeneration of all your neurons. In fact, I was listening to a lecture by a researcher who was using mice in his experiments, and he had to cause a brain injury in the, in the mice, and so half the mice were getting magnesium and half weren't. The next day, his assistant said, you didn't cause the brain injuries in the mice. Uh, hideous, I know, but this is what some of the research does. And he knew he did, and when he went and looked back, all the ones that he hadn't that didn't have a brain injury were the ones that got magnesium so he's done a lot of research on how magnesium can reduce damage and degeneration in the brain another area that's subject to change by nutrition is the amygdala and that actually gets larger um, and that's responsible for fear and worry so we need to eat well to nourish our brains we need yoga and meditation for our emotional stress. All these things are really, really helpful to ensure health and well-being. So imagine if you get all these things right. It's not just the absence of ill health, not just the lifting of depression, but well-being and vitality. There's some really good researchers in this space at the moment. Professor Julia Rucklidge from Christchurch, she's doing a lot of research on micronutrients and how they can support brain health probably to a larger level than a lot of the medications can. And in fact, she hypothesizes that we'll see a big paradigm shift in the treatment of mental health away from drugs and into nutrients. Reminds me of a family that used to come to my pharmacy and the 
son had schizophrenia. Um, it was reasonably high functioning. He used to come in and get his own medicines. And one day he stopped coming in. And when I talked to his mum, she brought back all his medicines. He'd actually died. And she was talking to me. This man was probably about 30. She was saying, oh, it was the drink that killed him. And I'm thinking, alcohol is what I assumed. And But after digging into the conversation a, a bit more, she actually meant the soft drink. It was all the sugar in the soft drink. He had a, an addiction to soft drinks, and he sort of was doing quite well in getting over that. But then he went downhill, and, and eventually he died. And when she went through all his things, she found dozens of empty bottles of soft drink in the boot of his car. It's her view that the that just really poisoned his brain and sent him off the deep end. And that's just not something that, you know, is a one-off. Uh, another great researcher, Professor Jacker uh, from Australia, has done the SMILES trial where they suggested to people that with mental health disorders that they eat well. They had a 32% response rate. This was not any flash... Um, combination of nutrients and vitamins or anything particularly exciting. It was just getting people to eat well. And 32% response rate, way better than any of the medicines were producing at that time. I talked before about how when people start taking antidepressant medications like SSRIs, fluoxetine, pyroxetine, citalopram, etc., there can be a long lag before they feel better. In fact, they often feel worse to begin with. There's an important amino acid called acetylcarnitine, which is effective within one week for depression. I often recommend my patients when they're starting the SSRI drugs, the fluoxetine, etc., to take acetylcarnitine so they get a bit of a lift straight away. Gets them over that hurdle before the, the medicines can kick in. So in a nutshell, I hope you got a feeling for how, if you understand the metabolic pathways that are involved in any particular ill health or disease, you can design effective solutions. Everybody's different, but there's always a solution. Thanks so much for joining me for this episode. If you want to find out more about nutrition medicine, visit our website, which is nutritionmedicine.nz. You can follow us on Facebook and Instagram. And if you'd like to book an appointment to see me or one of my team in the Nutrition Medicine Clinic, then email our clinic manager at clinic at nutritionmedicine.nz